0: Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. In Luke chapter 9, we we read several weeks ago, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has actually drawn a crowd of people and uh, he's telling them about the kingdom of God. Uh, sometimes when, when Jesus says the kingdom of God, we don't really know what that means or you know, what, what's he talking about. What he's saying is the kingdom of God is, is, is God's reign or uh, God's rulership in the world. Um, and so if you're like me, I tend to push back on the idea of anybody reigning over me or somebody ruling over me. I don't like that. I don't like the sound of that. Um, and that's typically because when we, when we think of somebody ruling or reigning, you know, we're used to having somebody be bad or have bad motives or being trying to use the people for their own good and, and things like that. But the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about is the opposite of that. It, it is, it's about God flooding the world with his goodness and, and setting people free all at cost to himself. Him giving himself for the people, for, for the world. Uh, and so people, when Jesus, when Jesus was on earth, though, people were misunderstanding what he meant by the kingdom of God. Um, they, they, again, if I was there, I would have misunderstood. Um, he, they think he's about ruling and power and taking over. And Jesus knows people don't understand what he means when he says the kingdom of God. Um, he, and so he starts talking about, he starts talking about his death and resurrection. He starts predicting his death and resurrection. God decided the kingdom of God would be most gloriously revealed in a crucifixion and a resurrection. That was not what they were expecting. In us, the kingdom of God is most gloriously revealed in us when we copy that. When we radically lay down our lives, the kingdom of God is most gloriously, gloriously revealed in us. Even Jesus' closest followers didn't get that, though. He's trying to be emphatic. He's like, listen, this is what's going to happen, or this is how it's going to go. And when he says it now, and we read it now, we're like, "What are you, how, you guys, how come you guys couldn't see this? But they still didn't understand. So Jesus, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking to Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which, was about to bring, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Uh, <clears throat> so often after Jesus would explain something or say something to people, he would, he would say, this is the kingdom of God, or I want you to understand the kingdom of God. After that, he would do something to say, this is what I mean. This is what I'm talking about. He says, he says this to these guys. He says, the kingdom of God. And then he's, he brings them up on to this mountain to pray for this incredible experience. He's saying, I'm bringing a brilliant new kingdom far beyond what you can imagine and let me show you what I'm talking about, or let me show you a piece of what I mean. Um, so This moment uh, that we just read about is called the transfiguration by Christians. And transfiguration just means a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful state. So I've kind of, when I, when I read this, I've kind of always thought of this as Jesus kind of having this moment where he pulls back the curtain. He says, you guys think I'm a normal guy or you guys think I'm just a human. And he pulls back the curtain. He says, whoa, and he's glowing and everything like that. And they're, just, they're, they're like, whoa, this is, and, and maybe, um, maybe it, it, it means that <clears throat> it's hard to imagine what these guys would have felt what it would have looked like Um, for the disciples that went up there, the three disciples that went up there. I I, I have a hard time imagining what that would have been like. So I want to ask you to use your imagination for a second and think a bit about what it would have looked like and what it would have felt like to be there. You invited up all this mountain by Jesus, you sitting with him, and this transfiguration happens. I'll read it again. To help us along Uh, i have a few paintings or you know graphic illustrations of the transfiguration that artists have created over the years to help us imagine so if you're a person who likes uh visual something to help you along you can look at that but maybe if if you'd rather just close your eyes you can listen to me read and imagine yourself um what what it would have been like to be one of them uh either way try to use your imagination and put yourself there and be there for what it would have been like to to be there for the transfiguration. Um, Here we go. Now about eight days after these teachings, after what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, actually transformed. And his clothes became white and flashing with the brilliance of lightning. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure from earthly life, which he was about to bring about, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. What if the transfiguration um, wasn't about Jesus stripping off his humanity to, to show his divinity? Or, or at the very least, what if it wasn't just about that? Like, What if it wasn't about Jesus saying, okay, guys, I'm God. What if it's a preview of his glorious resurrection body that's about to happen, that's coming very soon? And, and what if it's a preview of the glorious beings he intends to turn all of us into? Like that, he intends to transfigure me into what's like what 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 the the being that's seen in the transfiguration. So, in the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, this happens to Moses. Like he goes up on a mountain to pray, to meet with God, to get commandments, directions for his holy for, for holiness. And when Moses comes down, from, some of you guys remember the story. Moses comes down from the mountain of meeting with God. His face is glowing like lightning and he walks up to people and people are afraid of him which you can understand (laughs) and so he puts a veil over his face so that people will can actually interact with him and not be afraid of him but that happens because he goes up he's praying and he's meeting with god and he's he's transfigured he's transfigured and when Moses goes into a tent to pray to God, he takes the veil off and he says, me and you, God, me and you. It's like God's saying, this happened to Moses, but I want to meet with all of you. I want to transfigure all of you. Here's, here's my holiness code so that you can become like me. I want to transfigure all of you. When Jesus arrives, he says, the kingdom of God has come and the transfiguration begins now. I want to transfigure all of you, transfigure you into something better, something more beautiful. Of God saying that when he says the kingdom has come. And the process now is slow, but it, he will finish it when he comes again in dramatic fashion. So now though, Now, none of our faces are covered with a veil. All of us can see the Lord's glory and think deeply about it. So we are being changed, transfigured, to become more like him so that we have more and more glory. And this glory comes from the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. Jesus shows his disciples this very tangible way that they can see and feel so they can think deeply about it and be transformed by it inch by inch. Now, even though um, at the transfiguration, Jesus has changed. He's changed into this glorious being on the outside that they can see physically now. He's been that, right? He's been that the whole time he's there. He's been that glorious being, but now he says, I'm going to do this in a way so you can see it, something tangible. Because the Bible is full of, we don't really care that much about the outside or what the outside looks like. What we care about is what the inside looks like. The transfiguration, what happens there is just, a, it's just an external expression of what's all the, all the things happening inside of Jesus. Glory. Glorious. And he intends to show you that. He tends to make you into that slowly now, but fully and finally, eventually. So, this week in Luke twenty through twenty two, Jesus shows us what it looks like to see God's glory and how each of us are. You know, He wants us to be transfigured into the glorious beings of that that He dreams of us being. Jesus does this all in prayer, all in prayer. It's prayer that the Father it's in prayer that the Father chooses to, to to give us the Spirit of Christ to carry out what He has commanded us to do, what He's committed us to do. That, that's exactly what Jesus does. He gives, in prayer, the Father gives him the spirit to carry out what he's been given to do. He he has the character to follow through with it. All the things we see Jesus do, it takes a kind of person of of quality, of character, to be the kind of person in those moments. He's saying, I want to give you the spirit to become that person also. I want to show you this in Luke 20 through 22, but first let me say this. At one point in Jesus' ministry, um, he's around Jerusalem a lot, and then he withdraws. He says, "I'm a, no more Jerusalem, and, and here's why. People want to kill him. <laughs> he's made lots of powerful people really angry, and so he said, okay, no more Jerusalem. We're, we're, going, we're going to the suburbs now, and he, he's, he's, he's staying away. He's staying away. There's so many people who don't like him. But after the transfiguration, Jesus says this. Jesus said this. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be handed over to men. Again, I'm trying to be clear. This is what the kingdom of God is about. But they didn't understand what this meant. That was because it was hidden from them. And pause when I let me say, think about this. Um, often when I read something like "Oh, it was hidden from them," I, I think, "Oh, God's hiding this from them." I, I don't think that's what it means. I think it was hidden from them because they're they have they're so focused on what they think the kingdom of God is like or what it's about that they can't see what Jesus is saying. And we've all done this before. You have an idea about what you think this is going to be like, and someone has told you it's like, "Nope, it's not going to be like that." And when, they, when you get there, you're like, oh, how come it's. I told you. But you wouldn't listen. You weren't hearing what. This is what's happening right now. Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God's going to be like. And they, it's hidden from them. They can't see it. That's because it was hidden from them. And they were afraid to ask Jesus about it. The time grew near for Jesus to be taken up to heaven. So he made up his mind to go to Jerusalem, the place that he had just got done running away from, leaving. And, and, and think about, it. one of the things that you find out in Luke 20 through 22, you start to see, if you pay attention, Jesus doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't just go to Jerusalem. He doesn't just go to the city. He actually goes to the temple. He goes to the temple. He goes directly there, and he sets up shop there. And so you need to understand um, that all the chief priests and all the teachers of the law and all the Pharisees and all kinds of other religious leaders have learned to hate Jesus. Uh, and, and all the teaching Jesus has been, done, has been doing up to that point is, is kind of out in the suburbs. You know, he's, and now he's coming to their house to teach. Uh, imagine if you had, when you were in college, you had some professor that despised you and you walked into his classroom and said, hey, I'm going to teach today. Jesus is coming to their house to teach where they normally teach. We we have a hard time appreciating how dangerous what Jesus is doing here. Um, so some of you guys remember the freedom riders in the sixties. I'm in this country about thirteen people. They got on a bus and started driving down south. Uh, they were testing um, law segregation laws. And. It, it was an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Like the, their bus was bombed. They're, they're dragged off the bus and just beaten near to death. They did not Nobody died. But I mean, so think about, think about getting on a bus like that and saying, hey, guys, we're going down south. Think about what it, how, think about this. Think about your kid telling you, hey, mom, I'm going, hey, dad, I'm going, I'm getting on here. I'm getting on the bus and I'm heading down south that's incredibly dangerous and incredibly scary. Jesus is determined to go to Jerusalem. It is far more dangerous than freedom riders. These people want Jesus dead. So in chapter 20 of Luke, Jesus gets up in the temple and tells this story of a vineyard owner in front of everyone. Um, and, and basically the story is, is, is a story of a vineyard owner, owner who rents out land to others to farm it. And when he says this out loud, everybody would have knew what he was talking about. Um, People who owned land often rented out their land to to others, and they collected a portion of the harvest as their rent when harvest time came. So in this story, when harvest time comes, uh, the owner of the land sends a servant to collect the rent. The renters beat the servant and and send him away. That happens twice. Then this. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what should I do? I have a son, and I love him. I will send him. Maybe they will respect him. But when the renters saw the son, they talked the matter over. This is the one who will receive all the owner's property someday. They said, let's kill him. Then everything will be ours. So they, drew, they, they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. So um, you don't have to know much about the Bible to know that Jesus is telling this story about the religious leaders. They're the renters, and he's the son. And and Jesus tells the story in front of everyone. At the temple, the religious leaders on their home turf, Jesus and he's telling the story and he's staring them down. It's more insulting to be challenged on your, on your, on your, at your own house than if you challenge. So if, if you want to say something bad about me or something sideways about me, okay, that's, that's one thing. Come to my house and do it, right? Come to my house and it's, come into my living room and say, Daryl, first of all, my kids would murder you. But to, to come to my house and say certain things... What Jesus is saying to them is infuriating. They're so angry. It would have been so humiliating. So Luke says this: he says, the teachers of the law and the chief priests look for a way to arrest Jesus at once. They knew he had told that story, that vineyard story. He knew that they told it against them. And Jesus isn't done yet. He goes on. He tells, after he tells that story, all the people were listening there on the edge of their seats because they know they can feel the tension between Jesus and these, and these religious leaders all the people were listening, Jesus told his disciples, watch out for the teachers of the law. This, Again, pretend you're there listening to Jesus say this. They already hate him. Hey, you guys, listen. Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in long robes. They love to be greeted with respect in the market. They love to have the most important seats in the synagogues. They also love to have the places of honor at banquets. They take over the houses of widows, they say long prayers to show off. God will punish these men very much. So, if you can track with what Jesus is doing here, um, two things. One, you are not very surprised by the fact that, oh, we're going to kill him, <laughs> that he's crucified. But two, you can begin to appreciate the extraordinary character and courage that it took for Jesus to come there. You and I have been in a room where there are people who disagree with us and we will not say anything. Somebody, you're in a room with people who disagree with you politically and you're like, mm. and you don't, you don't like it, you don't think it. But Jesus is in the situation and the character and the courage to say, wait a minute. The courage and determination to make this trip to Jerusalem comes after Jesus' transfiguration. That is when it says Jesus made up his mind to go to Jerusalem. Just before Jesus' is transfiguration, um, do you remember, what's he doing? Just before Jesus' transfiguration, what's he doing? He takes those three and goes up onto the hill to do what? to pray while he's praying he is he's transfigured i don't think there's that's not an accident we don't we don't know what he was praying but if we use our imaginations it's not too far of a stretch to, to say that he's He's praying a psalm. So the psalms were Jesus' songbook, his prayer book. Um, there's every reason to believe that Jesus had sung and prayed the psalms constantly throughout his whole life, that he, that he had to memorize. He, Jesus often quotes the Old Testament while he's here. The book that he quotes the most is the psalms. And one of the reasons why I think that is is just on the edge of his mind all the time on the edges of his mind, all the time. The Son of God used the Psalms to guide his prayers, and the Psalms were a part of what he used to be transformed into the glorified being that we know. So you can imagine him being afraid to go to Jerusalem. When he goes, when he goes in to, to, before the transfiguration happens, what if he's using this as his prayer guide? <clears throat> you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, Thousands may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. In chapter 21 of Luke, during the day, Jesus is, 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 is at the temple teaching and talking. He's pointing out to people, uh, this, this is what the kingdom of God is like and this is what these guys are like. And, and, and <clears throat> He's predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. He's seeing that he's seeing these small people that nobody else sees. He's taking away all the power of the religious leaders that are, that they're so proud of. So listen to what he does at night though. Each day Jesus taught at the temple and each evening he went to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives sounds familiar, right? Jesus often went to the Mount of Olives. Do you know what he did there? He prayed. The Mount of Olives, some of you you guys know, the Mount of Olives is where the Garden of Gethsemane is. So when Jesus is there, what he is saying is, I will not fear the terror of night. You know, the arrow that flies by day. Others may fall, but not me. I will see the punishment of the wicked. So he prays and he finds the courage and the character to get up every day, day after day, to go back to the temple and to say these things to these guys who are facing him off. So someone, um, somebody today is facing something that requires more strength than you have. You find that strength by doing what Jesus does. Jesus prays and praise guided by the psalms left to ourselves you know we we, all, we we pray to a god who says what we want him to say or or, or part you know we, we pray to the part of god that makes us feel good but to be transfigured to be transfigured it's critical that we learn to speak to the god who speaks to us like it's not in prayer it's not as important that we express ourselves it's, it's important that we answer him that he says He begins to transfigure you inch by inch as you lay down your life. The kingdom of God is most gloriously revealed in us when we radically lay down our lives, when we find the strength to do that in prayer, to say, okay, this doesn't have to be about me this time. This doesn't have to be about what I want out of this. We find the strength to do that in prayer. Jesus found the strength to do that in the Psalms. In chapter 22 of Luke, Jesus eats the Passover meal. And the Passover is a Jewish celebration about God's deliverance. Except this time when Jesus celebrates it, he turns it into a celebration of himself. And he introduces what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. So at Arbor Bridge, we celebrate communion every week um, by eating a little piece of cracker and some, drinking some juice together. So we're celebrating, the, we're, we're celebrating the transfiguration, the ultimate transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus gave them a glimpse, but then when he died, he resurrected into this glorious transfigured body. After Jesus, after Jesus introduces communion to his disciples, here's what happens. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, His disciples followed him, and when they reached the place, Jesus spoke, pray that you won't fall into sin when you are tempted. He said to them, then he went a short distance away from them, Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Pray that you'll be transformed into the glorious character of Christ so that when temptations come, they have no power over you. Sometimes we, sometimes you know you're going into a meeting. Sometimes you know you're going into a situation. Sometimes you know you're going into a dinner. Sometimes you know you're going into some kind of thing where you, you're going to be tempted to behave in a way that you shouldn't. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. Pray that you'll be transfigured so that when you're in that moment, you are the glorious kind of being that you intend to be, that he dreams of you being. Pray so that you can face whatever situation gloriously, like, as glorious as white as lightning. At that time, um, they, they, his, Jesus' followers needed to pray because they were about to fail Jesus miserably, just spectacularly. But they didn't. Jesus prays, though, and while we know some of the words that he prays, what if he he also used the psalms to pray? Like this, what if he said, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling— No harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. What if he prayed this? He says, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning concerning you uh, to guard all your ways. After Jesus prays, one of the things that happens is, angels come to strengthen him for what he has to do. Jesus certainly is crucified. But no no permanent harm comes to him because he's resurrected. And, And if he prays that to give himself strength to say, I've got to do this. He has the character that we all want to have. He is the person that we want to be in those moments. And he's not, not, not to, to rescue him from the way that things have to go, but to, to follow him, to guard him. It, it, it's in Jesus's crucifixion that we see the a most glorified Jesus. Jesus is transfigured. The Lord is my refuge. No harm will overtake me. The Lord is my refuge. No harm will, every step. The Lord is my refuge. No harm will overtake me. Maybe you have a hard conversation to have that you don't want to have that you know the Lord's put on. The Lord is my refuge. No harm will overtake me. God decided the kingdom of God will be most gloriously revealed in a crucifixion, in a resurrection. And the kingdom of God is most gloriously revealed in us when we radically lay down our lives. What if, what if Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to pray that when you pray and in your prayers, I'm going to transfigure you into someone who can behave in a way that is completely impossible for you to behave like. For you to become someone who knows how to stand up for justice when necessary and to be quiet when you have to, to to be someone who can ask hard questions of people who are all up in your, to to be the right person in the right moments. Jesus wants to transfigure you into that. The transfiguration is saying something glorious about the character of Jesus. I wanted to say that about us. Something glorious about our character and our lives and who we are. During our time of communion, you can use the Psalms, you can use use Luke, But let me invite you to use the word, to pray, to get in front of the Father. Not just praying and expressing what you want, but answering Him. What will you do with Him? What is He calling you to? Who does He want you to forgive? What does he want you to stand up for? What does he want you to say to someone? What promise does he need you to keep? Let me pray for you as you take communion. Dear Father, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Transfigure us into people who can handle the idea of your kingdom coming in our lives and your will being done in our lives. That we'll be able to be the kinds of people who are transfigured into the kinds of beings who can do that—not not just not just for an hour or for ten minutes, but every second. We are transfigured into people who can execute your will every second, every moment. Do that with us in prayer right now. You have promised to be our refuge and to that nothing's going to come, no harm's going to come of us. Often we don't do your will because we are afraid. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of what it's going to mean. I pray that you would transfigure us into beings who do not do not let fear boss us around. We are not ruled by fear. We're ruled by the Spirit. Transfigure us into beings that are just ruled by the Spirit every moment during this time of communion. Help us to pray that and look to pray that through the Psalms, through Luke, through what you guide us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.